Take ORFM Dunedin with you wherever you go with podcasts and streaming of primo local content. Download the accessmedia.nz app for free from Google Play and the Apple App Store. This program was first broadcast on ORFM Dunedin and made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Welcome to The Final Curtain. Ordinary New Zealanders telling their stories about death. I'm Shirley Welsh, host of Death Cafe Dunedin, where people meet in all sorts of places to drink tea, eat cake and discuss death. In this program, we break the taboo around talking about death and hear firsthand from New Zealanders about their experiences and their perspectives. Last week, I interviewed Kirsty about a near-death experience she had following a brain bleed when she was 12 years old. That experience helped her when years later her father died suddenly in a flying accident. Kirsty, tell us what happened to your father. Yes, well, it was um, it was quite a while ago now, about eight or nine years ago, and my father was a pilot. He absolutely loved anything that would float on water or would fly in the air, and so he had a hobby of flying little aeroplanes, and usually they were little Cessnas, things like that, and he just could not get enough of it. He absolutely loved being up in the air, and he loved adventure, he loved that feeling of freedom. And so he had invested in a little plane with his friends and they were flying all over the place at the weekends, just having a great time, enjoying themselves. And they'd flown one weekend down to the air show, down, um, gosh, it's escaped me right now as I talk about it, but I know that they stopped off in Wellington on the way home to spend time with a friend. And then when they were coming home, there was the idea that maybe the weather wasn't going to be so good that they might actually have to leave the little plane in Wellington and get a commercial flight home. But they decided actually they'd just see how it went. The weather turned out to be beautiful and the weather played no part in the accident. But my father and his friends got on the plane and they started to fly home and they would always fly up past Auckland and they would land in Dargaville up at the airfield up there. And they were just a little bit out of Dargaville, up by Southhead. And we will have no idea what happened. We still don't know. I don't know that we ever will know. But what we can tell is basically the plane just dropped out of the sky. So they made a mayday call. Um, Somebody heard the mayday call. That's as far as they got was just mayday, mayday, and then that was it. And the plane crashed. They both unfortunately died instantly. And this was a really difficult time in my life because I was very close to my father at this stage in life. We'd had our differences earlier. I may have said that last week on the interview. But um, we were very, very close at this time. And I was living over in Switzerland with my family, with my husband and my daughter. So basically we got the phone call from a friend, my father's best friend, just saying he had died. And I could not believe it. I was just in absolute shock. So we packed up everything, we jumped on the first flight we could, came out to New Zealand to be with my mother and obviously to help with funeral arrangements and to process the the journey forward and the experience of losing someone that you absolutely love in literally a moment. So that was what happened. We don't know what happened. There was investigation into the flight, into the crash landing that happened. They don't know what happened. It didn't seem to be a mechanical failure. My suspicions, and maybe it was a medical event, uh, maybe something happened to my father medically. The 
friends that he had in the plane, from what I can understand, wasn't quite his experience with my father at flying. My father was, you know, helping him as he was having lessons. I'm not 100% sure on the story there, but I know that my father was the predominant pilot in this and he had flown for years and years and years. So I suspect that maybe something medically happened, which meant that the plane crashed and the other guy couldn't actually continue to fly it. So in a moment, I lost my one of my favourite family members. I know you shouldn't really say that. Um, my family's all great, actually, but somebody was very, very near and dear to me. So what happened yeah. when you came back to New Zealand for the funeral? Did you feel a connection well, with him? Yeah, I did. You know, I had this beautiful experience, and it's one that I kind of can't understand still. So we raced back to New Zealand. We flew back on the first flight that we could get out there to be with my mother. Obviously, her life has completely flipped around. She is just struggling to come to terms with losing her partner of many, many, many years, her husband, and just coming to grips with what's happened. Um, I didn't really know what to say, what to do, how to process this myself. And I had this beautiful experience with him. Um, he, we, When we arrived back in New Zealand, obviously my mother hadn't really planned a welcome home event for us. There was um, no dinner to come home to and there was no made-up bedroom and all this type of stuff, which was exactly what we expected. Uh, we came back to a bit of a shambles, really, which is what you'd expect as well. And so my husband and I ended up sleeping in the spare room where my father had been sleeping. Um, it was just the way that it was, the setup of the family home at that stage. Nothing negative there. And so we ended up sleeping in the bed, which he had been sleeping in this day before he had left. And so this was really, you know, quite confronting for me. I woke up in the middle of the night and getting my bearings, I had quite bad jet lag after flying the other side of the world from Switzerland to New Zealand woke up in the middle of the night and I just had this overwhelming sense that he was in the room with me, well with us and I lay there and I had tears down my face and I was just grieving my father and just so upset by the suddenness of everything and I felt like he was right there and he came around to the side of the bed and I remember putting my hand out as if I could hold his hand and I couldn't physically see him, the room was pretty dark, it wasn't pitch black but it was very dark so it was the middle of the night and I remember putting my hand out and just feeling a connection and feeling like he was saying to me, I'm okay, you don't need to worry, everything's okay I'm safe and I'm okay and I remember lying in the bed thinking this is so strange and wondering whether I was losing my mind just a little bit I have had some spiritual experiences in my life so I, I assume that this was just another one of those and then I remember waking up in the morning and saying to my husband, Dad was here, he came, he was here in the night and I put my hands out and he told me he's okay. And my husband just sort of smiles and nods, he's a little bit used to me now. But that has never left me that experience of feeling like he was right there with me. And it was interesting because I have, um, following my own near-death experience, which we talked about in the last episode, I had some very strong, I guess, Christian beliefs. And so my father, as an atheist and very open about being an atheist, was telling me that he was okay. And so that was really challenging a lot of the beliefs that I had and the way that I was living my life and, you know, everything that I sort of stood for. 
because I connected my own near-death experience with a belief in God, with a belief in church and religion and Jesus and all of these types of things. So my father was there telling me that he was okay, but he was an atheist. And I was thinking, how is he okay? And it took me a long time to get my head around this. I still don't know that I have it around this fully, but it really challenged my beliefs. It challenged me again about, I guess, the afterlife and understanding that based on the experience I've had myself, how death is for me, I really believe it's not the end. I really believe that there is more to life than what we can see around around us and that we do continue after we leave our bodies. So I did have that beautiful experience with him and it was this amazing spiritual experience. It was quite an emotional one. And then alongside that, we had all of the practical experience of planning a funeral, pulling together um, everything about his life. My mother looking into wills, looking into bank accounts. We had to make an insurance claim for everything that was on the airplane. And, you know, there were a lot of different things going on at the same time. And I really felt from this experience that I wanted to challenge why we don't talk about death. I wanted to understand why we hadn't prepared for death before it had happened. So that probably sounds a little bit negative, but that stuck with me all these years. And it's something that I'm very, very interested in at the moment is creating a space for the conversation about death and understanding that if we can talk about it before it happens, especially when it's a sudden death like we experienced with my father, that perhaps we can lessen the pain or lessen the amount of jumping through hoops, I suppose, trying to work out what to do and where everything's placed and what that person would have wanted for different things. And yeah, I'm, I'm kind of dabbling a little bit now because there's a lot that happened through my father's death and that is probably one of the most significant things that came out was the feeling that we need to talk about death before it happens. Have you maintained a connection with him since he died? Is some sort of spiritual connection with him? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I feel like he's with me often. I feel like there's a very strong connection with him. I don't particularly understand it. Uh, he was in my near-death experience. He challenged me with my beliefs all the time. He was quite anti the belief choices that I made in my life, especially after I had my experience when I became very devout and very focused on living a godly life, I suppose. And so it's been an interesting thing right throughout my life. He's been quite a huge part of my spiritual growth, I suppose, despite him not having the beliefs himself. And so I do feel like he's quite close to me. There are definitely times when I feel I'm around, definitely times when I feel encouraged by him. It's, it's an unusual thing. I can't put it into words, but I don't feel like it's the end for him. I feel like he's fine. I feel like he possibly visited me more, if that's what you want to call it. He was around more in the earlier times as time's gone on, that maybe that's decreased a little bit. But yeah, I do feel a very strong connection with him, even though he has died and he's no longer with us here on earth. I feel that he is with us in spirit. Yes, I do. Did you have any premonition that he might die? I wouldn't call it a premonition, but I did phone my mother 
well, actually, I phoned both of them. Uh, we were in Switzerland. I phoned up just to say hello. And as I was talking to my mother, I had this overwhelming feeling for my father. He was away at that stage. It was the weekend when he was away. And I can remember saying to my mother, are you not worried? Do you not have concerns that he's out flying around in the little plane? And she sort of laughed and said, well, who am I to stop him? You know, I can't get in the way of the things that he loves and what he wants to do. And I thought, that's right. That's fair. But I did have this overwhelming feeling of something. I wouldn't call it a premonition. I had no idea that I would never speak to him or see him again. Uh, the last time I did see him was at the airport when we were flying back to Switzerland from New Zealand. My husband and my daughter and I were out in New Zealand and I can remember as he walked away looking at him and thinking, I don't think I'm ever going to see him again, which was quite alarming. But I think as your parents get a little bit older, I mean, he wasn't terribly old. He was only 73 when he died. Not terribly old, but as they start to get a little bit older and when you're traveling and living overseas, I think you just so appreciate every single moment. So I can remember thinking that as he walked away, will I ever see him again? And when I phoned my mother this weekend, I had no idea that anything was up. But when I spoke to her, it would have been within the next 36 hours that they'd crashed, that I'd had the phone call, been told that he had died. And she said to me, you knew, didn't you? And I said, I didn't know. I had no idea that anything was going to happen. And I didn't. But I look back and I think, oh, I wonder if I subconsciously did. I wonder if I subconsciously knew that something wasn't right because I have this connection with him. And I don't know the answer, to be honest. I don't know what that was about. I'm so grateful for our time together. I'm so grateful that he died doing something he loved. He had previously been diagnosed with terminal cancer and he was given maximum three months to live. And this was another confronting time of what do you do with that? How do you understand that someone you love is about to die and that they're unwell? You know, that's a really big process and I know a lot of people go through that. Some are fortunate like we were for the cancer not to actually be the thing that killed him. And others, I know it ends up where the person, you know, they do have that loss of that person. So there's a lot that goes into that. Um, so we we were told that he had about three months to live. He actually decided to really fight that. He had a chemo, um, a few sessions of chemo. He ended up fighting really hard. He started to eat well. He went out walking every day. And it turns out that that wasn't going to be the thing that got him. He went into remission and he started to live this very amazing life in terms of really appreciating the time that he had because he didn't know that he was going to have that. So, yes, I'm very, very proud of him. I do feel that connection. Whether it was a premonition, I don't know. I wouldn't actually say it was. I'd just say I had this overwhelming feeling and enough to ask my mother if she concerned about him, which, you know, quite rightly she said she couldn't get in the way because that was his dream and he was quite a strong man he he had his opinions and things that he liked and things he didn't like so I think the best thing was for her to let him just get on with it really now following your own near-death experience and his death you have become what you call a life coach and a death coach what is a life coach and what is a death coach it's an interesting question because I think they're actually the same thing. They've just got different... If you look at a coin, it's just different sides of the same coin. 
So a life coach is somebody who will help you in your life to understand what it is that you want, how to improve your life and to identify the little moments and the little things that you can do to create the best life that you want. It's to help you make the decisions, understand what career you want, what you want out of your relationships. It's it's not something that I clearly define, but as I did my uh, life coaching training and then I graduated and then I started to go along to networking meetings and things like that, I found myself in a room full of coaches. And as we went around the room and we started to introduce ourselves and talk about what we're doing, I just heard time after time after time, I'm so-and-so and I'm a life coach and I help people to create their best life. I'm so-and-so and I'm a life coach and I help people to create their best life. And I'm not somebody who likes to get into too much mischief, but there was just something about it and I thought, I'm going to say I'm a death coach because at that stage I was, uh, running my near-death podcast. I was doing a lot of work in the death arena, I suppose. And I do have a couple of clients as well who who come to me as coaching clients for the topic of death rather than life. So in this room of life coaches, I just wanted to have a little bit of fun. I said, I'm a death coach. And everybody looked up and it actually really stuck with me. I thought, no, that, that's what I am. That makes much more sense to me. So I help people to live their best life, to understand how they can create and design their best life and understand all the decisions that makes life great. But also I help people, so it might be somebody who is at the end of their life, perhaps they've had a diagnosis. I have one lady who is very, very near the end of her life and she just really wants to talk about her life and understand how she can die well. So that's really interesting. She's also quite interested in the spiritual side of death. So we spend some time chatting together and just going through different things in her life. I've also got someone else whose uh, wife was diagnosed with cancer. So then they were a family facing death, not themselves, but how do we think about death for our family? How do we think about death as, as the mother was going through chemo, was facing this massive life challenge so it's either people at the end of their life or loved ones with somebody at the end of their life is what I seem to see and it's really just helping people to understand how our death impacts our life and how our life impacts our death so they're the same thing just with different titles on them and then I also run a program which is called the Dying Well program and this is all about getting prepared for death because none of us are getting out of here alive unfortunately and a lot of us, you know, just like my father, it impacted me so much that we just had no clue about what he wanted. We had no clue about different things in his life. He had, he was a very successful businessman in his time and he had made investments here and there that my parents had lived all over the world doing different things and it really was just all the things we need to know about. So on a practical level, the Dying Well program is about wills and power of attorney and all of these things, end of life care all of these really big things but it's quite a holistic program that also looks into what are your beliefs around death what are your spiritual beliefs, what is it that you want in a funeral what is it that you want for your family, what about um, legacy and heirlooms and all of these little things that encompass death and I just have such a heart that I don't want everybody else to go through what we went through um, in terms of not knowing. So 
I think that's probably, you know, where it gets to. The life coaching started off to help people because I was really passionate after I had my own experience. How can I help people to live the best life that they can? Because I'm just really enjoying life and trying to make the most of it. So it started off to wanting to help people to do that. But then as people were approaching me and saying, well, I'm either dying or I've got a family member who's dying. How can you help? That's sort of where the death coaching really came into it. But my heart really is just to open the conversation and to help people process how they live and how they die. Now, one of the things that you say that sounds quite surprising is that hardship can be a gift. That seems so contradictory. How can hardship be a gift? How was your brain bleed and subsequent inability to walk and the loss of your father and those sorts of experiences be a gift? Hmm. Well, they're not necessarily a gift straight away. I want to be very clear about that. There is definitely a time for processing what's happening. There's a time for grief. There's a time for emotion and tears and, you know, the ugly crying and all of this type of stuff. But as we move beyond that, it really is, I just see so much opportunity for us to learn from the experiences we've been through and to learn how they can make us stronger. So everything that's hard can help us to grow stronger. Just like when we're in the gym and you know we're doing the exercises, we're breaking down our muscles, which hurts to make them stronger because when they grow back, they're stronger. So it might be the experiences that we go through. We learn different things that we have to do in different environments. It might be that we meet some amazing people along the way. Uh, for me, like you say, I had the brain bleed. I ended up paralyzed, learning how to walk and how to do everything, get back into school, things like that. It was a really difficult time, but it also made me push in different areas of my life. I had to push the boundaries so much harder than I would have had to normally. And I think what that taught me was definitely a lot of understanding that things aren't always how we see them, that things can change. It taught me how to have a bit more grit in life, how to push through. You know, often we give up when things are hard. So I think our difficult situations, in the moment, they are very difficult. They are very hard, and we need to understand that. But as time goes on, we start to heal from whatever's happening around us. I think we can really stand back and say, what is the good stuff that I can take from this? What can I learn from this? And may even just be some people that you've met along the way in the experience. Maybe you met some people in the hospital. Maybe it gave you some understanding that you can help other people in some area. There's so many things, but I do think if we can step back and understand that everything happens for a reason, which is a belief that I do have, and just see that perhaps in the hardship there are some good things that we can pull out of all the experiences. I think we can make our life even richer and be of service to more people out there in the world. So maybe we go through the experience and then we're actually able to help other people go through the experience or help other people to not go through an experience depending on what that hardship or that crisis moment is. Kirsty, thank you so much for sharing your story. Just as you are proud of what your father did... And he loved doing what he was doing despite the risks. I've no doubt that he's very proud of you and the way you've treated the obstacles you've faced as a gift and now inspiring other people to do the same. Wow. Thank you, Shirley. I, I do believe that. I think he looks down and I think he's pretty happy. So thank you so much for giving me this opportunity.
You've been listening to The Final Curtain, ordinary New Zealanders telling their stories about death. Podcasts from this series are available online at oar.org.nz and from the accessmedia.nz app. At Death Café Dunedin, the conversation continues. You can join that conversation by listening to other New Zealanders tell their stories about death and, if you want to, by sharing yours. Look for Death Café Dunedin on Facebook for updates and meeting times. Take ORFM Dunedin with you wherever you go with podcasts and streaming of primo local content. Download the accessmedia.nz app for free from Google Play and the Apple App Store. This program was first broadcast on ORFM Dunedin and made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air.